say, um, not only do, do I know that God cares about me, but he places that care in the hearts of people around me. And how can I leverage that, invite them in, and know that that's a gift from the Lord? One Hope Ministry's mission is to get the Word of God to children around the world. Hands down, amazing. We love that here at ECFA. But Michael Martin sits down with One Hope's president, Rob Haskins, and chief of staff, David Brinker, to discuss the reputation they have built around healthy culture between boards and leaders and between leaders and staff. Do you have the right board? Do you have the right people that can hold you accountable? But also, do you have people that can be that incredible blessing to you that can help guide you into the future that God wants you to have for the mission of your, of your organization? Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the ECFA podcast. We're so grateful uh, for all of you who are tuning in. And I'll tell you, we have uh, the privilege today of getting to hear from some special ministry partners and friends of ECFA. We have Rob Hoskins, who's the president and CEO of One Hope, along with David Branker, the chief of staff of the ministry. Both of these guys are great friends from ECFA, incredible leaders. So Rob and David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Joy to be with you. Thank you for having us, Mike. Yeah, you bet. Well, hey, I feel so honored uh, that, that you all would be here. And I know we've had some conversations just around uh, what's been an important topic at ECFA here recently, just in terms of integrity and leadership, um, healthy leadership. I know these are values that you all hold uh, near and dear to One Hope. But maybe before we get into those, uh, just want to kind of give us a quick update. How are things going at the ministry? Uh, what's new in, in your world at One Hope before we launch into that conversation? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, it's a joy to be here with you. We obviously love ECFA. We've been a member for a long, long time and are so grateful. I know our partners are very uh -huh. grateful to know that we have that seal behind us and uh, just so um uh, just really indebted in a way to to ECFA for for helping all of us as ministries accomplish what God's called us to do. And our mission's super simple. It's God's Word, every child. Uh, we're passionate about getting the Word of God into the hands of children and youth around the world. Uh, so we just uh, had a great milestone. Uh, this February, we celebrated our ministry's 35 years old this year. My dad founded the ministry. And we celebrated giving the two billionth child in the world a copy of the scriptures. So wow. we are just uh, blessed that uh, God has uh, really just worked through all of our partners around the world to be able to accomplish that. And this will be our biggest year of reaching kids with the word of God. So we're looking at about 140 million kids this year that'll be reached with the scriptures in every country of the world. Wow, that is incredible. Uh, so we celebrate. That's a, a, just such an awesome milestone, and we're cheering for you. Thank you for those kind words uh, for ECFA. Just grateful to be a, a very small part of uh, what's happening around the world in the ministry. We we really praise God with you for that. And so, Rob, you were mentioning it's a great kind of launch into uh, where I'd love to begin our conversation today, which is you were sharing about um, your father, right, who founded the ministry, founded One Hope, and just the legacy that you're a part of and uh, around this topic of, of integrity. I saw, Rob, that you recently, you shared a quote on social media, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this actually came from your dad, um, and this is something that you highlighted that he said, um, confess your faults to one another, never try to disguise weakness with any form of deception, 
incredible damage is done through people pretending or claiming to be something or someone they are not. Make it a goal to have your personal and public life be completely congruent. Uh, wow, what a statement. And I just wonder, can you unpack that for us? What uh, in particular about that was, was so compelling that even caused you to share that? Yeah, thank you. That was um, my dad, I think, has always, and my, and my mom as well. She passed away five or six years ago, but I just have this amazing legacy. My dad's 87 years old, and he's, uh, he still works at the ministry. He was in Guatemala last month. He'll be in uh, Holland with me this month, and he'll be in, I think, Tanzania in August and Vietnam in November. So he's not slowing down. He's got a bunch of energy um, and has just lived a stellar, a stellar life. Um, he's lived a life of integrity. Um, through through his ministry here at One Hope and on the mission field where I grew up in the Middle East, so and 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 he's lived that statement. Him and mom embodied that statement. I never saw uh, hypocrisy. You know, you hear a lot of preachers' kids or missionaries' kids or uh, just say, you know, oh, there's there's so much hypocrisy in the ministry. I never really saw that. I just I, I just saw him living out that statement where um, who he was at home was who he was behind the pulpit is who he was on the mission field, is who he was in the boardroom. And so uh, that example, I think, has just resonated um, with, with our One Hope missional family around the world. And, um, and, and I think it's just so true. I think, I think we really particularly have a generation of young people who are looking for authenticity. And that authenticity comes from living that congruent life where there's a consistency, where you're not um, living one life in the office or in the church or in your ministry in a completely different one at home. I saw that consistency at home. His passion and love, and my mom's for, for, for kids, for reaching the world, for the scriptures. Um, here we are, a ministry that, that's giving the word. But I saw my mom and dad loving the word of God at home and living it out. So I think that that life of uh, integrity, transparency, um, congruence, as he calls it, is just a, a huge part of good Christian leadership that all of us should be trying to live out in, in our lives. And I, 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 I hope that I can uh, follow in my mom and dad's footsteps in that way and, and try and live a life of, of amazing integrity and, and transparency. Oh, that's right. I resonate with that. And I'll tell you, if you do follow in his footsteps as you are, and boy, his longevity, you still got a long way to go. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that, Rob. How about for you, David? Um, you know, just zooming out a little bit, even as a, as a, a key leader and a, and a staff member there at One Hope. Uh, yeah, what have you seen, kind of on that front? How does this uh, this same statement resonate with you as another leader there at One Hope? Well, um, honestly, my privilege to serve um, under a great founder like Bob and a leader like Bob. That um, you know, it's one thing to to talk about integrity; it's another thing to embody it, and it only matters when you're tested. And um, to see that um, leaders not only see these things as good virtues to be adopted, but they actually strengthen our ministry. They strengthen our ability to um, not only honor God in what we do, but also to be a model for the next generation. This is a next generation ministry. And they care deeply about authenticity and other words, macho behaviors. And so it's it's a privilege to be able to serve with, with leaders like Rob and Bob. Everyone hope. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's a, that says so much, David, just to hear that perspective from you. And 
Yeah, I, I resonate with that so much from all the things that we're seeing and hearing around ECFA and in terms of that next generation. And uh, you all mentioned some milestones. We just recently celebrated one here too with just accrediting our uh, member 2,700 and just uh, as God continues to grow this community here at ECFA. But as we look forward into the future, I mean, there's so much work yet to be done. The gospel, the good news uh, still needs to reach so many more people. And uh, I just feel like we're in this moment of a, a wake-up call, even within our community. If we've known, I mean, we've always known that integrity is God's idea. It is so important. Uh, but I think, I don't know, what what do you guys think and see in this way? It just really feels like we're in this wake-up call moment where um, I think so many ministries, so many leaders are realizing the real importance of embodying that, and especially, like you said, for the next generation. Yeah, and I think, you know, one, one thing I saw in mom and dad's life, and I've tried to exemplify, and it's, it's actually built into our, into our values here at One Hope. We have what we call our hopeful values, which are sort of eight values that guide our ministry. I, I recently wrote a book with John Maxwell. John, John's famous for saying, you know, everything rises and falls with, with, with leadership. And um, I, I like to say when I was on the book tour with him, you know, um, all good leadership rises and falls with your values. And I think that for us here at One Hope, living out those values, and one of our values is, is purity. And so there's a prayer we pray as a ministry, and we do it consistently. We do it in our days of prayer, but we also encourage our team members to pray it every day when they come to work, which is, you know, Lord, give us uh, pure hearts and clean hands in, in what we're doing. So it's one thing to sort of just put those values on your website and say, these are the values of the organization. But we're really trying here at One Hope to live out uh, a life of purity, of holiness and righteousness before the Lord. And I think that's incredibly attractive to this generation, to see people that, that live their values in an authentic way. And that we just create rhythms within the ministry, within our lives here at our ministry work. Um, and one of those is to pray certain prayers. And so that, that preeminent prayer, Lord, keep our hands and our hearts pure, is just constantly before us on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I think that is so key. And yeah, may that be a prayer for us all. I think that that is so good. And, uh, you know, you, you two have both uh, agreed here to be on the ECFA, what we call the Behind the Seal podcast, which is where we also kind of go behind the scenes a little bit. And uh, one area where I'd really like to go sort of behind the seal with you all on uh, in this whole area around supporting leadership integrity, you know, we really feel like healthy governance is also uh, a key component, a, a part of that. I know that is your heartbeat at One Hope. And uh, I say this not to puff you up, but this is these are words that I can say that I know have come from others and feel like I have it on good authority, even from people who have served within the board at One Hope. Um, you know, they have said that it is one of the healthiest uh, governance cultures, one of the healthiest organizational cultures that they've ever been a part of, which um, just candidly is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you all on too, is just to be able to share from your perspective uh, about that. Because uh, I know like so many other values, so many other things in our lives that even in this area, um, it only happens with intentionality, right? It's only in terms of the what we invest in, that's where the, the values grow and things. So i just love to um, be able to hear a little bit more from you all of uh, what has that investment looked like in order to get to a place of um, healthy governance. And again, I know I'm the one saying that about you, so don't, don't feel like you have to make any prideful statements there, but um, what has that looked like in terms of the journey you've been on to create uh, a healthy governance culture? 
Yeah, I think I think healthy governance is something that sort of evolves um, with it, as you said, with intentionality. So we, we very much started as a, a founder driven ministry. My my mom and dad, my dad had the vision and um, we just continued to grow. And I think you pass through different um, different iterations and different kinds of governance as an organization grows. And I think just being intentional about um, with your growth, are you making sure that you have the right covering over every area of your ministry where you're continually, hopefully, um, finding those um, wise counselors that are your board members that maybe have been on the journey longer than you have, that um, have more experience in certain areas, whether it be finance or legal or, or, or just ministry experience. Um, and so I've just been here from the very beginning. I, I started with my dad um, 35 years ago when it was just a, a project, a small vision he had. And so I've, I've seen us pass through that. So we've really passed through sort of three um, iterations of governance. Uh, we started with Founders Governance, which was a pretty small board, um, just of trusted people. And then we really felt like we needed to move to independent governance, which is, I know is one of the things that ECFA uh, really helped us to do, which is to say, what are sort of some of the, the guardrails and what are the requirements of an independent governance? Instead of it just being a, my dad and I were on the board then, we're still on the board, but we're not majority board members because we added enough independent board members that didn't have, um, you know, any type of uh, our, the third party transactions were very transparent. There were no conflicts of interest with those particular board members. And, and I think if you're not really careful about it, that as a ministry grows, you can sort of outpunt your governance. You can, you can, you can really grow beyond um, probably the governance that was sufficient for you when you were a certain size. And, and now we're really in our third phase of governance is what we call generative governance. So we've passed through founders governance to independent governance to generative governance. And uh, we had, as you said, be, be very intentional about that. I'm, I'm grateful for some incredible board members and some counselors who helped guide us through those different phases. And, um, and, I, and I guess we have a good governance structure um, in many ways because I feel, I feel inadequate in many ways. Um, and I'm not, it's not a false humility. It's just the ministry has grown so fast that uh, I felt the need for it. I also felt like as the ministry grew so fast in such a short amount of time, like, like I know I'm a sinner. I know that as the leader of the organization, um, that if I'm not very mindful of making sure that I have the right accountabilities in my life, um, with the increase in finances and, and really hard power that comes uh, in a global ministry that's now dealing with, you know, tens of millions of dollars on a yearly basis, like none of us are above corruption. None of us are above temptation. And so I just feel like as we grow, we need to keep adding more and more robust governance. Um, and that, it, that means systems and structures that are going to accommodate the size of ministry we are. And so I think sort of staying ahead of it, uh, Mike, is, is something that the board is constantly thinking about and that I'm as a leader have, have really wanted in my life as, as the ministries continue to grow. Wow. Yeah. You made some really key statements there, I think. Um, and one of them was right as a ministry grows, you can outpunt, uh, you can outpunt your governance. Is that, is that how you articulate it, Rob? Yeah, no, I think that that is so true. So, um, just affirm the, um, the hard work that you've done. And again, like you, you described so well, it wasn't just like a once and, and done, but this is 
an ongoing journey that it sounds like uh, you all have been a part of. If you don't mind just sharing with us too, um, what are some of the, just the real positives that have come? I know you spoke to it from a place of, hey, as a leader, I recognize some of, you know, my own inadequacies or own imperfections and some of those things. Uh, but maybe then beyond that for the organization, what can you speak to as well? Kind of paint a picture for those who are listening that would say, man, we've, we're maybe not there yet, but um, if we could get to a place of a more healthy governance, like what are the additional benefits that can come for the organization? What are some of the things, either one of you, uh, David or Rob, that you have seen? Well, I, I would say that, um, you know, anticipating um, what the mission is that God's given you. Ours is a big mission. It's um, Dad had this vision where he's felt the Lord saying, I want you to give God's word to every child in the world. So our, our aspirations were, um, we had a North Star and it was, it's a big North Star. It's we, we want to actually provide the scriptures and make them available to every child and young person. So we're very pro-growth. And I think that um, what we have to realize is we're constantly looking at saying, how do we really find the most talented, gifted board members that we possibly can um, that can help us accomplish the mission that can become stakeholders in the mission and vision that we have? So I'll give just a really practical example of that. I mean, I saw early on in, the, in 2009, 2010, um, just what digital technology was, was going to, uh, the impact it was going to have on the next generation. And what does it look like for children and youth to engage the scriptures on, on mobile devices and on cell phones and on their iPads? Um, we started as a publishing ministry, but as the ministry grows and expands, you start moving into more complex issues if you're going to accomplish and catch the next innovation wave. And so um, we began, and, I, and so I, I just began to, to headhunt for who was a board member that had more experience than I did, that understood a digital uh, better than I did. And so um, I was able through a period of time just to continue to share the mission with Bobby Grunwald, who was the founder of Uversion, and, um, and, and was able to, um, to share the vision of One Hope and, and what we were doing around the world and how we were committed to moving into the digital space in order to engage children and youth on, on mobile devices. And, and so Bobby became very intrigued with our mission and vision. The more he heard about it, the more passionate he, he had about it. He had kids, so he obviously was thinking about his own children. And so that led to a natural relationship that evolved into Bobby coming on our board. And, uh, and, and, and he's on one of our program committees. So I, I've got someone that probably, even in not just the Christian world, but in the world in general, people would die to have sort of, you know, can I get an hour of Bobby Grunwald's time? was a board member, he's helping um, not just give us consulting advice, he actually now identifies his very ministry with being a board member at One Hope. And so we have someone that's that's a lot smarter in one area, and I can look at all my board members and say, they bring something to the board that I don't have as a leader, and we're better as a team that has this shared um, expertise, knowledge, experience, um, that I never have. And so we have people that have that in the legal space, in the accounting space, in all the different spheres that are needed to make One Hope a better ministry. So I just I just encourage um, any ministry. There's a group of young uh, 501c3 leaders that I mentor on, on a cohort call, and I'm just constantly um, pegging them with questions about, do you have the right board? Do you have the right people that can hold you accountable? But also, do you have people that can be that incredible blessing to you 
that can help guide you into the future that God wants you to have for the mission of your of your organization. That's an amazing story. And yeah, you just think about how that really, uh, that that humility on your part, that decision, that openness to invite others in, how that just changed the trajectory uh, in so many ways for One Hope. That's a, an awesome story. And I also love what you said too. There's a key point, sort of gold buried in what you just said, which was, for for many board members, uh, yeah, it is a ministry in like of itself for them, you know, to be able to be in those roles. And so, um, anyway, I, th- I think that that's just such a key statement. We ought to view it that way, like that board service really is a ministry uh, to come alongside. Uh, maybe just another quick follow up question here before uh, transitioning to to maybe another area too, which would be. Uh, are you willing to share with us, uh, maybe even kind of peeling back another layer behind the seal, what are some other governance areas that you're continuing to work on and to explore? Because yeah, like we've said, it's, it's really an ongoing journey. What's sort of next for you? Or what are some areas where maybe it's even circling back to uh, some, some areas of strength? What does that look like? Yeah, I think I think for us, it's always I think I think great leaders live in the future in many ways. Uh, if they're visionary leaders, they're they're always looking at um, what's coming at us and can we anticipate uh, what the organization is going to to uh, affect and impact. And so I think with that, I I always want to um, take my my accountability structures. And when I talk about accountability structures, we've talked a lot about the board. But um, I really see that, that, that accountability should be embedded deeply into the organization, that every member of our team should have structures of accountability. Um, so I have, I, I have accountability structures that are above me. I have accountability structures that are beside me. And I have uh, accountability to um, the team uh, that, quote, is underneath me, staff members. Um, because in a knowledge organization, um, you know, we're, we're a Drucker organization, so... Peter Drucker, the father of modern management of the 20th century. My dad was mentored by, by by Drucker. And so we're a Drucker organization. And he anticipated that we're moving into this knowledge economy and that um, that specialized workers that are highly empowered is where is is going to be where successful organizations, ministries, businesses come from. And so I really feel like the empowerment of every member of our One Hope missional family is so, so important. And so when we think about accountabilities, I, I want to hold myself accountable to these very talented knowledge workers, many of them who could be making a lot more money or could be, quote, more successful in a non-missionary organization like ours. Well, they've, they've sacrificed a tremendous amount um, to be part of this One Hope ministry. So I want to hold myself accountable to them. So David actually, um, just last year, this was something pretty recent, I didn't feel like I was really um, holding myself accountable to what the missional family needed, that their their voice um, probably wasn't as strong in my life or in the life of our cabinet, which was our vice presidents as it should be. So we we established actually a president council, which includes a lot of our young leaders. And David, um, along with others in the organization, helped me build that recently. And I'm just finding it to be an incredible um, resource to sort of review, um, hey, a lot's changed in 35 years. As young leaders, you see the world far differently than I do. You're, you're a little bit closer to it, actually, than I am as I grow older. So, so we really want to hear your voice, and we want to be accountable to what your generation feels is important. And so that's something we just instituted, David. Yeah, and, and that um, honestly requires um, a lot of humility on the part of the leader 
but also willingness to empower and to empower others so that you could you could glean the gifts that God has placed around you. So they're not just workers. They're, they're, they're blessed with insights and gifts. And you're just creating a table so that they can participate fully. And, um, and it benefits not only the, you know, you personally as a leader, but it benefits the mission of the organization. Yeah, David, I'd love for you to speak a little more to the impact of that from from a staff perspective. And that was one of the beauties, right, of being able to have uh, both you and Rob here on at the same time. I feel like we have that unique privilege of, of being able to hear from you both. So, yeah, can you speak to that perspective kind of uh, from the team, from the staff? Um, what has that impact been? How has it been felt? So I think one of the things where, where organizations are constantly thinking about is how can I increase my engagement with my team? How can I um, foster an environment where they love the mission that's, that God has given us and they're passionate about it? And so one of the, the ways is inviting them into the space where you see things that need to be addressed. And so you're inviting them, you're empowering them, you give them a voice. Say, what, what you see matters, and it's, uh, it will help us reach a better collective decision. So um, just it, most recently, as we, we talked about this presidential committee, um, Rob, when we first started, God had really given him an you know, outline of the values that should drive our behaviors, drive the way we what we believe, how we would respond um, when, you know, we have challenges that face us. And um, he was also recognizing not just that the, the mission has expanded, but the world is changing and it's getting more complicated and complexity rises. So when Rob is talking earlier about constantly reevaluating your board, he's also recognizing that is our governance able to rise up to the challenges that we're now faced with. And one of these is to really invite the question, are our values right? Are our values um, clear enough, not just for the past, but to help us face and lead into the future? And so he invited the team to really um, investigate and pull, aside, um, pull apart our values and think about that. And... Um, I'm not just saying that because my boss is sitting here, but that's highly unusual for a leader of a very successful, large global organization to to sort of invite people to um, reevaluate. Well, I think you, I think I think it's critical. Like um, you know, coming out of COVID, we had you know what um, what they called the Great Resignation, and we had um, all this going on about quiet quitting and um, just a generation that basically, and so. You know, a lot of it had to do, I think, with language, David, mm -hmm. where we had established our values like 30 years ago. And and I think the value that we established were biblical. They were they were theologically rich values that God had ingrained in my in my parents' life and that we had passed on in, into our missional community around the world. But, you know, we're based here in America and the American culture um, has become very toxic. The American workplace in many ways has become very toxic. And you had this great resignation going on where young uh, millennials and Gen Zers were just um, really saying the organization doesn't understand me. They don't understand what I need. They 
They just see me as a cog in the wheel. They felt very disempowered. And so what, what I realized is, as this president council and dialoguing with many of the younger members of our team was um, that, that really some of the language we had from 30 years ago um, just almost had to be deconstructed by them. So one of our values is hard work. Like um, my parents were missionaries and, and, and we love to work. You know, I, I always tease my dad because the way I knew that I was doing a good job, he'd give me more responsibility. Like that was his... That was his way to bless me was to say, man, if I really feel like someone's great, I'm going to give them more to do. Right. And so we had this um, value in our family for hard work. And so that was one of our stated values. Well, if you have a young Gen Z or alpha who's coming out of um, the, the general culture and they hear that hard work, um, they really feel almost like I don't I my 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 personal time won't be respected or. Um, they're going to try and, and, and give me more than what they're going to pay me for. Or, and that really wasn't the spirit behind what we're... It was more of a stewardship, theological, you know, the parable of the sower. And, and, and we really believe in a healthy, holistic lifestyle that allows us to do hard work, but to do it with great joy and to do it with great purpose and with great significance. But that really didn't come across in our recruiting of younger leaders and so I was really grateful for the President's Council to say, hey, can we, instead of having to deconstruct words, can we just come up with a more relevant words that are going to better describe the true workplace we have that's going to allow us as younger millennial and, and, and Gen Zers to be proud of where we're working and to be able to articulate it in a better way. So I think that these accountability structures that you build are not only from the top down from my board, but I think you also have to build in um, intentionality in making sure that everyone in the organization that's given so much and sacrificed to, so much to become part of this mission, that they feel like their voice is heard and that we as the top leaders in the organization are going to hold ourselves accountable to these people that have sacrificed to say, hey, look, I believe in God's word every child so much that I want to, you know, I want to spend the rest of my life doing this mission. But I, I, I need my voice to be heard, and we need their, their voice in order to stay relevant and dynamic in this generation. Yeah. Amen. Well, it's not a phrase we've used a lot so far in today's conversation, but I think that really captures that whole idea of servant leadership. It's having yeah. that perspective of how is how are the the ways in which I am leading really serving the rest of the team, the rest of the organization. So I love that posture. And I will tell you just kind of a little side note here. I was a little on the edge of my seat because I think we've used hardworking as one of our uh, core values at ECFA. So I've been sitting here thinking, okay, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity. <laughs> wondering what what it is that you all are calling it now but we also balance that here too with we have healthy as well and so uh that's part of what our three h's you know humble hardworking, and healthy so anyways but i was on the edge of my seat there i wasn't sure if we were going to say <laughs> hard working should no longer be one of them but yeah <laughs> well I, I don't know it's still it's still in progress and the yeah. president's council they're going to come back and uh they're going to make some recommendations and and what i love is this sense of um of, of intergenerational accountability. Um, I, I really think, uh, you know, um, this to me is the most knowledgeable generation in the history of, of mankind. They have these superpowers from these digital tools like AI and big data and, um, you know, that, that just make uh, all the knowledge in the world accessible at their fingertips. So, so Gen Z is the most knowledgeable generation in the history of humanity. They've got a ton of knowledge. 
however, they're they're kind of short on wisdom, and 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 I think they're very hungry for wisdom, and and they're looking for someone to help them. And we see that in our own research. We just came out with a massive research projects on on Gen Alpha, the one before that we done on Gen Z. And what we found is that they really um, want voices of wisdom in their life, and they want to become part of a of a community where there's belonging and where there's impartation. And so I really believe that leaders today need to to really create a culture of intergenerational where we can have the wisdom of our spiritual moms and dads being imparted, but we can also have the the knowledge of the young that help guide us into a to a fast changing. I mean, the, the the ground is moving between our feet. And if we're not careful, we can become very irrelevant if we're not learning how to use these new tools in a very innovative way to accomplish our mission, our God-given missions. And so I love the intergenerational part and just being intentional about that in, in all of your governance, but also sort of in all of your management structures that you have within the organization. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, intergenerational accountability yeah what a concept there uh i think so much of what you just shared boy that's 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 worth the price of uh admission for for this podcast and just right there i'm 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 processing all that as you're sharing and maybe while we're too on this thread of thinking generationally and that is one of the things i so appreciate uh about one hope and and just rob your leadership i mean you're you're on the uh more than cutting edge i mean you're kind of going before us and i've seen some of the uh, highlights that you found just in that study uh, around Gen Alpha. And I mean, so many of us are still talking about Gen Z, but you know, here you are uh, talking about Gen Alpha, maybe just even as a point of reference for those who are listening, which, uh, what, what ages, what demographic are we referring to there as we talk about Gen Alpha? Well, they're, they're kind of moving targets, but I think it's those that are being born between 2010 and, and 2024 so far is, is sort of what they're going to say is this 14 year generation gap. So 2010 to 2024. So the alphas are being born right now. My grandchildren are alphas. And so, um, they, yeah, they, they, they are so digitally native. I mean, they're, they're, and, and, and they, they really think a different way than even Gen Zers did about technology and about how to, how to incorporate it into their lives. They don't even almost think about it as just natural. It's like, you know, the philosopher says, if you want to know about water, you know, don't ask a fish, they just grow up in it. So they know all about it. And that's the sort of the way Gen Alpha is with with technology. And so I, I I think that there's also been a huge downside to that. We've seen with Gen Zers just the mental health issues that come with um, having so much accessibility um, to so much and not knowing how to how to filter again and have those wisdom pieces along with it. So we're trying to really navigate that now um, as one hope with God's word every child as we look at Generation Alpha saying. How are we going to effectively engage them with scripture and how are we going to equip parents and grandparents in order to raise this generation in the midst of, of all this information and all this knowledge that they're growing up in? Because it can be overwhelming um, to, to Generation Alpha. And David, yeah. you, were, you were involved with us in, in, in helping and uh, recently involved in, in, in that Gen Alpha study. So I don't know if you had anything else to, to add. Um, the only thing I wanted to add was that Gen Alpha... Um, it's, it's one of the first generations to be raised by digital natives. Yeah. You know, Gen Zs were digital natives. And so now they're having kids. And um, I think it really invites us to discover, you know, God, how shall, how should we, um, what can we learn from this? What can we discover from what they're seeing? But also, how do we lead them well? Um, so that because some of the, 
the tools that that are at their finger uh, fingertips. Um, some of them can be used for good, and some of them can be used for really destructive purposes. So, you know, may God help us and and guide us. Yeah, when I think you see a superpower like AI um, that this generation will grow up with, it changes the way they learn, and and it actually is rewiring their brains in many way, um, and, and to where their their cognitive um, understanding is happening at a much, much younger age. And so I think that, you know, I mean, we're ministering to that, those age kids. We have the Bible app for kids, for instance, which is a, a tool we've created. It's been downloaded. Now we just celebrated another milestone with a hundred million downloads of the Bible app for kids, which are these key central stories of the scripture and kids can actually play the Bible. It's the gamification of scripture. And so, and, and that's now in 60 different languages. Um, in every country of the world. We have downloads in North Korea. So, you know, it's it's creating these right types of tools. But when we talk about building the right kind of organization, like we're already thinking we need to keep our organization young. So we're constantly trying to stay on, uh, ahead of the curve to say, what is going to attract um, the best missionaries? Because I feel like everybody here at One Hope that's part of our missional family is a, is a, is a missionary. What are the things that are going to attract Gen Zers and Gen Alpha to come and work in, in in a missions agency in an organization, and and I think if you're not intentional about it and you don't begin to change the culture to adapt to their realities, then you're not going to get your best workers um, that are going to help you stay dynamic and relevant. That's absolutely right. Yeah, need the need to adapt, the need to innovate. Um, question for either one of you: Is there like a quick link or a, a place right there on the One Hope website where? those who are listening that would want to to be able to glean more from that study? Is that available? Uh, yeah. Kind of broadly? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, we're so grateful to our partners and donors that allow us to invest in, and, and some, some of our donors and partners are passionate about investing in research, which at the beginning it wasn't. I mean, I, I <laughs> a lot of our partners really didn't say like, oh, we have to actually pay for research, but, but we have a strong R&D group. We have a strong research and development group. And so it's all been provided by our donors and partners. So the promise we've made to them is all of our research is made freely available to the global church and to the kingdom. So all of our research projects, whether it was our Attitudes and Belief of Youth, which was the largest ever study done of young people around the world, our recent Global Gen Z, our newest Alpha research. We also did one called Guiding Children for Parents that we did with Barna. But all that research is free of charge and it's all available on our website for ministry leaders, for um, for for parents, for grandparents to to be able to to, to look at and and what I love about it is it's not just U.S. focus it's for it's for every country every region of the world. Wow, that's awesome. Well, we'll be sure. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, we will be sure to include even links to that in our show notes so that those who are listening can it, it'll be easy for them to find. But thank you for your generosity uh, and just all of those insights even that you shared today. I love how. Um, you know, we sort of began this conversation around the integrity and the leadership and, and the governance and all those pieces. But I feel like we've now kind of been seeing how that has that trickle down effect throughout um, the organization with the team now down into the the program areas and those that we're serving. Uh, so that's a beautiful picture that you painted. Uh, but I'll tell you, I can't let you go <laughs> today before also coming back to one other piece, maybe just coming back a little full circle again to that governance aspect, because this is one where I hope there's some insights that you'd be able to to really share and bless uh, people who are listening. I know uh, it's really helped uh, in so many ways. My thinking is um, 
speaking of innovation again, I, I think you all are really on the cutting edge of something here too, with something you've done in governance that's called um, a committee on the president or a presidential care committee. And coming back to that idea of, yeah, integrity and leadership, and it's very much a heart issue of the leader, but uh, there is a, a unique opportunity, especially in Christ-centered governance, for the board to really come alongside and also play a key supporting role. And so at One Hope, um, tell us a little bit about that. Is it is it called a President's Care Committee? What is the what is the, the the name of that group? Yeah, it is. It's our President's Care Committee, and I'm just so grateful for my board um, that they that they love me enough and that they love my wife and I enough to 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 really be intentional about about care. You know, one thing I I try and um, instill in our in our young leaders here at One Hope, you know, this generation is dying for community. Um, but millennials and Gen Zers don't want accountability. Well, there's no community without accountability. Um, God's actual theological structure, uh, the, as, as the Trinity means there's overlapping governance within the Godhead with, with distinct roles and responsibilities that, that hold the son accountable to the father and, and the voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, this is, this is amazing when you think that the God him, had himself doesn't act like an expressive individualist like so much of, a, of, of American culture does. And so I think that these, um, these, these healthy, David calls it life-giving governance, which I love. He's, he, in fact, he's writing his doctoral dissertation right now on life-giving governance. For, for us to see it not as um, something that's um, there to constrain you, it's not something there to try and police you, um, but it's it's something there to be life giving, um, and that's the way I've experienced this with the with the president uh, presidential care committee that my board um, instituted here at One Hope. It's it's a powerful concept, and and it it's a committee that I meet with quarterly, and um, there's two board members, and and I get to choose those board members. They're two of my dearest friends. They're also part of my own personal accountability group that I have with some other men that are not on my board. So there's there, there's this sense of overlapping accountability structures that I have in my life as well. So there's two board members um, that are on the are on that committee, and then I have um, so that's the the accountability structures that are over me. Then I on the presidential care committee, I have that accountability besides me. So David is chief of staff. He serves on that presidential care committee. And then my personal assistant, she's been my personal assistant for 33 years. Uh, she started with me when I was very young, when I was a, a, a 25-year-old leader. And so she knows everything about my schedule, about my calendar, about um, the pressures that are coming for. Um, and so so I, I really have on that president's care, people that are above me, people that are beside me, and people that are underneath me. My executive vice president sits on there as well. And they sit with my wife and I, and my wife is on there. And she's not just on there um, because she's um, because she needs to be informed. Um, she really is on there to also make sure it goes back to that original statement that my dad made about the consistency of your life at, at, at home, are at the ministry, are at the office, are in the boardroom, are in the pulpit. And so, you know, my wife is there to hold me accountable to my personal life as well. And so I really see this as a life-giving um, group that comes along, and I, I, jokingly I call it, you know, my um, check check myself before I wreck myself committee. I mean, because because 
because because <laughs> I, I I know me. I mean, I'm an A type personality. Um, I love ideas. I'm a visionary. So like I'm a hammer and every idea I see is a nail and I'm just going to hit it, you know? And, and so I've gotten myself in trouble through the years. I've overbooked myself. I've overcommitted myself. Um, I've exaggerated, um, who I am sometimes to people. Um, and, and this is just a group that, um, I meet with on a quarterly basis that doesn't allow me to do that. That says, you know, that asked my, my wife, the question in front of me, like, you know, how's Rob doing? Like, and, and now we're approaching our 60s, Kim and I, and we're replacing body parts like uh, our rotator and our my, my knee has been replaced and a perineal tendon. And, and, and I can't do what I used to do as a, as a and I've been, a, I've been the CEO here for 20 years now. And so um, that reality check on a consistent basis keeps Kim and I healthy. Um, and that committee um, several years ago before COVID actually brought a recommendation from the board because this is a real structure within the board to say, hey, from our standpoint, we believe Rob and Kim need some rest. We just feel like they've been going too hard for too long and and we're looking at the demands on their life. And um, and they, they were the ones that recommended a sabbatical to my board. And and the board sent us out on a sabbatical to, to make sure that we were physically healthy, invested in counseling for us, gave us some time off where where we could work on our marriage together because it was a change of season with coming into grandchildren now and how are we going to do with that time element being added to our calendar and uh man can i just tell you how i came into covid healthy rested and whole to take on what what really was the greatest leadership challenge of my life and and i am so grateful that i had that committee that was able to provide that for me, to be life-giving to me. So I can tell you when COVID hit, Kim and I were in the best probably emotional, spiritual condition of our lives. And boy, did we need it to see us through these last three years. And and, and people look at what One Hope did, um, and we just had tremendous growth. We've had our greatest growth in the, through COVID in the last three years than we've ever had by every indicator. The number of kids we're reaching, the number of programs we've been able to build, the number of partnerships we've been able to have our budget, our level of fundraising, all of it has gone up in the last three years. And I can honestly tell you that I think COVID, uh, I could have been one of those statistics. I've seen so many of my friends who uh, failed in ministry, who are no longer the CEOs of their organizations because COVID just took them through the ringer and they, they, they didn't make it. And I don't know if I would have had, if I didn't have these structures in place to make sure that my marriage is good my, my health is good, um, my, my thinking is good, my disposition is good, my ego's in check, all of those things because I'm surrounded by people who are telling me the truth and they're telling me the truth in, in, a, in an environment of care and love and they're doing it on a consistent quarterly basis and helping me make decisions that I probably would not have made on my own, but I'm so grateful for them. And I'm grateful for people like David as my chief of staff I'm grateful for my board members. I'm grateful for my assistant. I'm very grateful for my wife has a place to be able to speak truth in my life, not just at home, but here in the ministry as well. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being willing to, yeah, invite us into even just some of that that you walk through personally. But I think that's really powerful. Um, that is a, that's a real challenge and a charge to those that this would be a different way of thinking 
uh, to perhaps invite something like this, which kind of is a is another question that I would have too, uh, which is how did this committee come about? Was this something, Rob, that you initiated? Was it amongst the board, a collaborative effort? I mean, it was I actually, really- It was actually my mentor. It was actually uh, my governance mentor, um, who was Bob Cooley, who was um, the, the president for many years of Gordon-Conwell um, Theological Seminary. And uh, Bob instituted it at, at Gordon-Conwell when he was there as president. And I'm not sure if it was original with him. It might have been, he was such an innovator. Bob was just uh, one of the great gurus of governance in the evangelical world. and. And so he, he, he shared it with me, and then um, we went on a journey together where we were able to come in and, and um, to Oral Roberts University when they went through a transition, and um, we established, uh, we were part of the original new board that came in. So that was a classic move of moving from founders governance from the Roberts family into independent and now generative governance at ORU. I was able to serve as the chairman of the board there at ORU, um, and Bob was my, was my mentor coach there. And so we instituted it there as well at ORU. And now I've had just had so many calls from different ministries saying, you know, what exactly, how do you do that President's Care Committee? And, and David probably has a full-time job now of, of helping ministries establish these care committees um, in, in many different agencies and ministries. And I just highly recommend it. I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I think it's if, if people say, you know, how have you been able to sustain um, your your they would say success. I would say health as, as the CEO of One Hope for these 20 years. And, um, and I would say the care committee had a lot to do with that. Wow. Well, no, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm one of those guys that's been on the phone with David um, asking some of those questions about implementation. And just as we would love to see more, uh, you know, ECFA member I, I, organizations. I call, I, call David the, I call David the governance whisperer. He just comes alongside and and, and whispers <laughs> life-giving governance into organizations. So he's, a, he's an incredible blessing. <laughs> yeah, well, we need it. And yeah, David, good opportunity for you too to speak. Uh, g- grateful to hear kind of Rob's explanation of that committee and how it functions and even your involvement. Yeah, speak to that a little bit, even from your seat uh, there. What does it look like for you as a, as a key staff leader to be a part of that committee? Uh, I think as a staff leader, what it what it says to me is that we have a board that not only cares about the institution and the mission, but it cares about the person mm. and the leadership. And that's, that's what I call life-giving governance, by the way. I think it's an important distinction. Um, personal story, you know, my wife and I share, we have the same family doctor. And one of the things that he does is when we do a blood test or whatever, he reads the report out in front of both of us. And then he tells my wife, hey, stop the pound cake. Now, <laughs> now, if she wasn't in the room, she may never know that I need to reduce that pound cake intake that I do have an issue with, right? But that is, that is meant not as a correction, but is meant as somebody who's championing mm. my sustainability, somebody who wants to see me enjoy life and to flourish and to live to one day enjoy grandkids the way Rob enjoys his grandkids. So I think sometimes we think about these spaces and they feel threatening. They feel like it may minimize our power Mm. or control, but really what it does is just the opposite. It actually invites just a beautiful freedom in God to say, um, not only do, do I know that God cares about me, but he places that care in the hearts of people around me. 
And how can I leverage that, invite them in, and know that that's a gift from the Lord, not just some, you know, governance structure or some committee that's being asked to do a job. And I think that's the spirit behind it, Mike, that is so life-giving and freeing. Um, with ministry leaders and or pastors. Mm. Life-giving, encouraging. I mean, we so often hear that leadership can be a very isolating place, like if we allow it to be. Uh, but I love that picture you painted, and I just so appreciate uh, you, Rob, you, David, um, the work that you're doing just faithfully day in, day out at One Hope. Uh, your board, I mean, we should thank uh, them as well for for their investment, but you painted a really beautiful picture today for, for I know so many others who are listening. Um, and I could continue this conversation on and on and on, but I know that uh, we got to let you all go. But uh, before we do, is there any any other closing thoughts, any other comments, just as you think about uh, this time, uh, some of the conversation that we've had so far, anything else that you'd like to leave with those who are watching or listening? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to end on a downbeat, but I, I think there is sort of a prophetic um, a, a prophetic call that I'm feeling just, um, I just see, I guess I get called into a lot of, um, a lot of situations where um, the the ministry's in trouble. Um, I get called into a lot, maybe because my dad and I had such a healthy transition when transitions aren't going well or when um, they've kind of gone through a bad transition. And and I'm, I'm just seeing so much of um, what we're experiencing in the evangelical church and the evangelical ministry that just um, sort of is a, is, a, is a product of our culture rather than standing up as a as a sort of a shining light of what good what what the the best of the gospel lived out in an organization should look like like we should be a shining hill mm -hmm. to show what 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 health is all about and and I, I just think that we have to be very intentional as christian leaders to say we can't allow that we can't allow ourselves to allow the culture to overwhelm our our organizational culture and, and in order to do that, I think we really have to work with our boards and work with our team, work with our leadership, work with our staff to say, and, and I think one of the things that, that is really uh, destroying the American uh, church and a lot of our ministries in some cases is that I, I think American culture is really defined by expressive individualism, that, that everybody sort of has a right to define for themselves um, who they are and what they get to do. And, and I'm sorry, like, um, you know, the, the beautiful thing about Jesus in the gospel is that he never forces himself on us, but he's very clear about if you receive me and if you accept me, there are certain things that become non-negotiable. And part of that is good accountability. And you're not going to live as an individual, but you're going to live within a community. And within a community, you're going to submit yourself to the rules of that community. You're going to submit yourself for your own sake, for the health of your family, for the health of your of your people. You're all going to mutually submit yourself to my authority as as the living God, and you're also going to submit yourself to, to, to each other. And I don't think we're going to have wholeness in our organizations, in our churches, in our ministries, if we don't really live in a prophetic opposition to the expressive individualism that we find in America today. And as you said earlier, Mike, 
That takes intentionality and it takes Christian leadership that's going to hold ourselves and our organizations to that level of trust and accountability that is the picture that God gives us of, of, of spiritual hell. And let me tell you, I'm a living example of, of if you can do that, then you're going to live an abundant life because that's what the gospel promises is an abundant life. And I hope that we here at One Hope um, that everyone that comes to work at this ministry can not only fulfill, fulfilled and significant, but they can be living in a, an abundant life filled with joy and significance at the same time. But it's because we're living under um, this beautiful vision that God has of community and being part of a, of a family. So um, I, I would just leave that as sort of my, my last statement. And I feel an incredible um, calling to help instill that into young Christian leaders um, that, that this type of accountable uh, Christian community that God has designed for us is the best life you can live. Amen. No, I receive that in the spirit it's given. I think that's a great closing charge. And um, just tying it all together too, uh, One Hope is a gospel ministry, and the gospel is too precious uh, for it to look like anything else, right? So it's worth it. It's worth... Um, anything that might feel like a sacrifice or anything that might feel like it's a little uncomfortable on our part, it's worth it. It really is. So Rob, David, thank you so much. This has been a, a joy and a privilege. I've uh, learned a lot and I know that others listening have as well. So thank you again for your time. Thanks for your ministry and your partnership with ECFA. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for all you do. Thank you for ECFA. Thank you so much for listening to the Behind the Seal podcast from ECFA. Thank you to Rob and David for your wisdom. I felt that underlying message from Rob throughout the conversation about the next generation. Partnering with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, even predicting that they will be the most knowledgeable generation yet. However, they still need and desire wisdom. Wise AI counsel is hard to find. So veteran leaders, Pass the mantle of wisdom with grace and generosity. We always appreciate a share and review of the Behind the Seal podcast. We'll see you in a couple weeks.